We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Hey everybody, what's up? I am Cameron. And I'm Willie. And you are now on the other side of here. Yeah, you always have such a great intro. Do you like it? Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, mine's always kind of flat. Well, sometimes, I don't know, like, when you say that, if you're being sincere or not. No, just always got to compare myself to you. How come? <laughs> I, you know, that's that's the question, right? Why am I comparing myself to Cameron? Yeah, it's... <laughs> Yeah, out of all the people in the world. It's a, I, I compare myself to everybody, I guess. Well, that's not as bad as I used to be, but still get it sometimes. Well, it's funny that you <laughs> mentioned that because um, that's what we're going to talk about today yeah. is comparing ourselves to others. And we got this topic from our war story today. We've been we've been having some uh, some pretty great luck with some local people. The locals, yeah. We figured we'd bring it home for a minute. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Brett is somebody who we know from around yeah. around O Town. Well, kind of. He, I mean, he's not from here. Yeah, and and not necessarily O Town. You know, we've we've talked about Valley Camp a little bit um, on the show, which is a, which is an awesome recovery retreat for men. <clears throat> um, but that's where that's where I met Brett was up at Valley Camp, and it's not because he was in valley camp as a as a resident they hold meetings up in the mountains right and it's mm-hmm. it's a mountain community um but uh he he's from spirit mountain which is up in that same area it's about a 20 minute drive into the mountains from where we're at and he was up there you know sharing some experience strength and hope with some people and i got to talking to him asked him if he'd tell a story and, and lo he was willing and yeah. i'm glad he was yeah me too it was he was actually uh, really great um, at delivering it. And um, you you guys will get to hear how he sort of made his way to Spirit Mountain, which is pretty fascinating, actually. Yeah. But um, but one of the things that he talked about, which I don't know if we've ever really talked about on the show, is is this comparing ourselves to others, yeah. right? Which is why uh, we we chose it as a topic, because I think it's something that we... We all do, and I don't just mean we as addicts and alcoholics. I mean we as people. Yeah. Um, the The difference is is that we uh, we alcoholics and addicts have a tendency to sabotage ourselves. Yeah. Um, in the process. <laughs> yeah, we can really burn our lives to the ground trying to be somebody else. Yeah, and it's funny because I really. You know, we were talking a little bit before the show and I was like, what, what is that? Like, what is, is it, is there something in nature that just tells us that we need to want something we don't have? Like, I mean, what, what do you, I don't know, Willie, like, what are your thoughts on that? Because it it does seem to be something sort of primitive, um, that, because it doesn't seem to matter how good we have it, right? We, we can always look around and see the things that we don't have in other people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, man, I wish I could dial in where it comes from. Cause I don't know, man, 
you know, I was, I was saying like, I look at Brett visually, I look at him and, and, uh, had I, if, if I wasn't in a more, if I was in a less spiritual place, if I hadn't done the amount of work, I, I would compare myself to him just on the way that he looks, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, cause you know, as far as, as far as the standards that I grew up with, he's a good looking dude. Right. You know, right. like mm-hmm. that's the, this is this, this is where you want to be. And because I could never, you know, I never fit in with the jocks or the preps or the people with, you know, name brand clothes. I went the other route and kind of gained a, 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 a identity in the stoner field, in the in the heavy metal movement, in the which is okay. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's okay. I'm not saying, but uh, I, 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 I've always kind of felt less than people that had a great clean appearance i guess you know i don't know how else to say it we call them preppies we call them jocks but um people that played sports people that got good grades Mm -hmm. people that Mm -hmm. were always clean people that didn't smoke people that didn't get in trouble or you know stuff like that i was comparing myself to them and because i didn't have any belief and i don't know where it came from but because i didn't have any belief i could live up to that kind of standard i just kind of sabotaged my life and made sure that there was no chance of that anyway Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and I, and I also want to point out that oftentimes our perception of these people, like in your example there, and it was, it was definitely the same way for me as far as those people that I was comparing myself to were often the people, the, the preppy people. Right. Um, I want to point (laughs) out that they, they were people that I perceived to have less problems than me. Right. And more money than me. Right. You know, like, and the, the two were not mutually exclusive, right? They weren't. Like the fact that they had less problems was because they was probably because they had more money. Right. Um, at least that's what we thought. That's what we thought. And and that's what I'm trying to point out is is this is all just my perception. Yeah. Like we can see clearly now, like, and, and, and Brett didn't really get into his financial status, like is, is growing up, but we know enough to know that he he had a, his own issues, right? Yeah. He still had his own struggles, and he had his own feelings of inadequacy yep. and and comparing himself to others and and feeling like he didn't belong. So, I mean, it's fair to say, like that, oftentimes, like no matter who we're comparing ourselves to, that these people may in and of themselves be comparing themselves to others, you know, um, or and likely are and, and feeling inadequate. Um, because I think that it's just, it's something that uh, a certain percentage of us, you know, are, are going to do. Yeah. I wonder what that's called. I wonder what the, the, I wonder what the medical term for comparing yourself to somebody else would be and what that actual percentage is. Maybe Jordan can look it up, but you know, one of the, one of the things that I am so grateful for in recovery is that they talked about that. You know, they talked about that and I found myself, you know, uh, coming into sobriety, still comparing myself to others. And, um, I'm so fucked up that it seems like no matter where I'm at, I compare myself to where others are and where I should be. So one of the things that, that I found, like when I first started using and drinking was I compared myself to my friends that could drink more than me. And I thought I need to be able to drink as much or more than them because I thought that if I could do that, then there would be a certain opinion about me that would, that would feed me some type of validation. Right. right? And so, mm-hmm. 
So I learned to drink more. And then if, if I could be as crazy as this person and have these types of experiences with the cops and the streets and the fighting and, and you know, the crimes and those things, and then have the stories that go along with it, then I will be, you know, valued and recognized in that area. And now I'm worth something because people respect me because of my craziness. And, and I think it all boils down to this place where we just want to be validated and, and loved, mm-hmm. but we do it in the, in the most fucked up way possible, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, like what, what it, what it seems like is it, it comes from a very, very insecure place. Yeah. Right. Um, and a very sensitive place as well, where, um, you know, because I'm so insecure about myself, um, I'm, I'm liable to take comments directed towards me personally. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I, I can quickly see in other people this status level that I am either above or below. Yeah. And, um, and if I can, if I can deem myself better than you, then I get some validation from that. But if, if, but if you're better than me, then, um, then the opposite happens. Right. Right. And I can, um, generally just turn that around into this self hatred for myself yeah, oblivion. And, and confirm the insecurities that I already have. Yeah. Um, because I think that that's, that's one of the things that I was able to get through a 12 step program. I, I'm not always great at it, but at least being able to sort of have this, um, accurate depiction of myself, yeah. right? Like, because I am so, so quick to compare myself to others and ask myself immediately, like, okay, am I better than them or are they better than me? <laughs> and depending on the answer there, will determine how I'm going to talk to them in the next, you know, sure. 10 or 15 minutes. Like the nature of my conversation, the, even the tone of, of my, um, my dialogue, yeah. you know, um, it's because, interesting you bring that up. Well, yeah, because like if I assume that you're better than me, like you're better educated, you have more money, like clearly you've been more successful in life than me, then I'll likely just cower in a way, you know? And, and let myself take more direction from you. Um, but if the opposite is true and I look at your life and I see I'm clearly doing better at life than you are, then I'll probably be more condescending and talk down a little bit more and, and tout my own success in front of you. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, it turns out neither one of those things helped me. (laughs) Right. And, uh, and it's so true though. In my case, yeah, I can see it in myself. Do you find, yeah, I was going to ask, do you find yourself doing Uh, that? I can see it in my past. Yeah. I uh, I, I try pretty hard now to not be that way because I don't like the way that it feels, but I've never really broken it down like that. You know, I just kind of, kind of just sugarcoated that comparison area of my life. But you're right, you know. Did did you find a definition, Jordan? <clears throat> I wouldn't say that I exactly found a definition. Um, there's a lot of articles to compare against <laughs> when looking for the definition of comparison, but I will say that I kind of stumbled on this one that I actually really kind of, I've been reading a little bit. It's a, it's a psychology study by Leon Festinger. I might be saying it wrong, but uh, it's called the uh, Festinger Social Compar- Comparison Theory. And, and basically what I'm gathering from this is there's 
two types of comparison that we as humans engage ourselves into. There's upward comparison, okay. which is obviously where we're looking at somebody else and putting them on a scale that's much higher than where we see ourselves. And then there's downward comparison, where we are actually looking down on others and putting ourselves above, right? And so the acts, like this this social experiment kind of goes to push like, all right, well, why do we do this? And majority of people actually are engaging in upward comparison. So majority of the population believes that they are inadequate. Right. Yeah. So we we still don't have an answer for why, but I mean, we can make speculation. Yeah, we can. The the speculation in here is that it it has a lot to do with, you know, we, we want to see social you like uniformity with everything. And the only way that we can really create uniformity out of something that's just so vast, you know, we live in a world where everybody is essentially, if you want to go to the snowflake theory, everybody is a snowflake. And I don't mean as in weak or being wimpy towards things. I mean, as in identity, like they are that I, there's, there's just that much uniqueness to people. So in order to be able to see something as uniform, I think based off of what I'm reading here is we kind of as a society have to judge ourselves off of everybody else. And we try to put ourselves into these categories and there's really no good way of doing it. So you're either constantly looking at somebody that is better than you or worse than you because it just doesn't exist. Uniformity doesn't exist there. Mm. See. Yeah. Hmm. What? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and we do it. I mean, I see my children doing it already at such a young age, you know, and they're comparing, you know, the, my my three year old not so much, but my six year old is doing it now. He compares himself to his brother a lot. Uh, his brother compares himself to you know his peers at school. Um, uh, I compare myself to you know where I was at my fittest to <laughs> you know kind of stuff like that. And so um, I, th- I think the problem is, is is like Brett was sharing in his story. You know, uh, comparison can be a really dangerous place, especially if we get lost in it and we try to escape it through medicating ourselves. Um, and not believing that we can get to a certain point where we could have or be what somebody else seems to be. I think, you know, the illusion that somebody is better than somebody else is just it is what it is. It's a fucking illusion, man. Mm-hmm. And it, as we travel this, this path of self-awareness, we start kind of realizing and we have moments where, you know, we can really see the, uh, the, the, the wizard behind the, the screen, right? We can see the bullshit on social media and the bullshit on, on, uh, you know, the news channels and the TV shows and the articles that are trying to sell us things with the intention of, 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 of a double edged sword, you know, one that here, this will make your life better. This will make you who you, who we want you to be. This will make you someone that's lovable. And on the other hand, it's like putting me down further and further. And I can see that. And so, uh, being on this side of the table, I can get around a bunch of different people that all talk about being right sized. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that helps me remember as I listen to other people's struggles, I can go, okay, I struggle with that too. And when I listen to their successes, I can say, I can identify with that too and try to just stay out of what they're trying to sell me, I guess. You know, I think that's where a lot of it comes yeah, from. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I was just thinking, and, and here's the thing is like I could totally get lost in the why. And I, could, I feel like as, as you were talking about it, I'm sort of realizing like a lot of it does come from like advertising and commercialism and, 
and marketing and, you know, all this stuff that we're, we have thrown at us that is supposedly going to make our lives better. And, and this conditioning that we have that, you know, these materialistic ideas of, of what happiness is supposed to be. And we see other people with those things. And, and I, and I think that it's easy to assume that, you know, they're happy and we're not. And, and social media, I think, plays a huge role. And, and the bottom line is, is like what we just heard Jordan talk about is that it doesn't matter why, like, it seems like a lot of people are doing this, right? Right. Everybody. So here's the question I have. Like, if everybody is doing this, is there a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it? Mm. Of course there is. It seems like there's probably a a more useful way to do it yeah. and a less useful way to do well, it. Well, uh, yeah, I can see that, you know. I can see I can see where, you know, coming up um here here I am, 323 pounds, the most I ever saw on a scale. I know I got bigger than that. Um here I am at that and here I am looking at someone that isn't 323 pounds and me thinking I obviously have a problem and I need to get to that. I need to get to a healthier lifestyle, you know? And so what do we do there? We just, right. I mean, is that what you mean? Like, yeah. Like like when I see, when I see a problem, you know, not being able to pay your bills over and over and over and over and over again, uh, and compared to someone that can pay their bills over and over and over again, there's a there's a, a spiritual relief that comes with that, right? And I've lived on both sides of that coin. You know, being uh, where I'm comfortable in my clothes and even more important, comfortable in my own skin. And I'm not just talking about the my, my thinking and my behavior. I'm talking about my actual physical body being comfortable in my own skin there's, there's a, like a spiritual reward to that. There's, there's comfort in that. There's, there's, and so like not having it versus having it, if I didn't have something to compare it to, I wouldn't know where to go. So like, it's relative, right? Like mm-hmm. everything is relative. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, I wouldn't know that I need to change anything if somebody else hadn't already shown me that it's possible or, or made that appealing in some way or another. I think with us as, as addicts and alcoholics, because we have an obsessive, addictive personality, I think we get lost in the balance of what that means, right? And right. we get really, really competitive in what that means. And, and what I mean by that is, for me, it was, I better win or I'm not playing the fucking game. Oh, yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. I mean, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, if I couldn't win the game, then I wasn't going to compete against you where I'm not that way anymore, Mm -hmm. right? Because winning the game is completely different for me today. Yeah. Completely different. Yeah. Um, You know, I found that valuable and meaningful relationships mean way more to me than shiny, expensive things. Mm -hmm. It just does. Yeah. You know, And, and it's easy for me to say that because what's the most shiny, expensive thing I've ever had, you know? I've never, I've never had a $4 million dinner or what, whatever. Like, I don't know what that tastes like. What I do know what, what tastes is 
not eating for a couple of days because I don't fucking have anything. Right. I know yeah. what that tastes like. Mm. And then I know what having a fridge full of food that I bought with my own money through my own contributions, through working and, and building, I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. And and the, out of the two, I like the refrigerator full. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like I can compare it. Like, like I think that's a good way of comparing, mm-hmm. you know, gaining some some valuable data and having an understanding of like what health is and what health isn't. Um, what, a, what I think a, a healthy relationship is versus a not healthy relationship. I think, I think there's some benefit in that. What do you Ab- think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think when, when we're doing, especially now when we're able to compare ourselves now to the people that we used to be, I think that, um, it becomes easy to see, um, the benefit and the actions we've taken to get from there to here. Um, I think the biggest distinction um, that I want to make between like what I'm able to compare with others is like what like what is the reality of that? And am I able to actually see um, what? what it is I actually value. Right. So like when, and I'm just thinking of like Instagram profiles, right? So like I can only perceive that this person looks happy. Sure. Happiness is important to me. Like living a drama free lifestyle and enjoying life is happy is like, is, is important to me. Like that's what I value now over like nice sneakers and, you know, a convertible. Yeah. And I see a picture of somebody in nice sneakers and a convertible with a smile on their face. Like, I don't know if they're actually happy. Like, is that reality? Right. Is that the reality of that situation? Like, does that person actually have what it is I really, really value in life? And if I can't answer confidently with like a yes or a no, then I'm not going to let that affect me yeah because it's so easy to assume that they have what i don't have right um and it's just like you said like with uh you know like back in the day when you looked at brett you might see somebody like oh man that dude's attractive like he probably got everything i don't have yeah like what is that true right like do we know if that's true you know what i mean and like And obviously now the things that you value are a lot different than they were back then. Yeah. I found, I found uh, what matters to me, like you were talking about, Mm -hmm. because it's, it's interesting the way we experiment with this thing, right? Because as you're talking about it, you know, uh, one of the things that I really thought was going to bring me utopia was attractive women. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. Uh, and and I, I and I think a lot of men could probably uh, relate with this, right? Certain standard. Oh, if I just had a hot girlfriend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and my wife, by no means, is ugly. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And so, but uh, you know, I I've gotten in relationships solely based on the way that other person looked, and that relationship was shit. Right. It <laughs> fucking sucked. Yeah. It did not bring me joy. Right. And it didn't bring them joy either. Right. Right. And so being out of that relationship and being in a relationship with someone that I have more like 
emotional value with, right? More chemistry, more uh, more things in common as far as humor and likes, and it's not just based on looks. Um, fortunately, she's not ugly, but you know, there's I value that more. Somebody mm-hmm. that I that I can talk to and be vulnerable with, and so I learned through a long fucking process that that in a relationship for me quantity does not bring me joy quality does not or or or, uh uh, looks don't bring me you know so if it was one girl that was super hot based on the standards of the american or world standard today and it was forever it, it wouldn't mean as much to me if it was a thousand of them you know because i tried the number thing i thought that that was gonna work because i heard other people talking about the numbers, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the more you get, the happier you'll be, the more cool you'll be. And it's a fucking lie. Right. You know, get the corporate job, mm-hmm. you know, become become the head dude at the at the corporate office, you know. And I, and I was a superintendent for a corporate construction company. You know, that's by no means the owner, but I was making a decent living. You know, as it was a guaranteed number mm-hmm. and it wasn't small. And I wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was fucking, that didn't work for me because I thought that that's where I needed to be. You know, none of that shit worked for me. Yeah. As I dig through this stuff, we got to find what we really want. Right, 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 right. Well, and, and yeah, yes, absolutely. We need to find out what we really want. Like, I, I think that that is a process and, and I'm glad that the things I want today aren't the things that I wanted back then. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't get what I wanted. Yeah. And because I mean, really what happens is, I mean, it, uh, I think that really like there's some sort of mathematical formula of, of like, um, age versus experience versus recovery, like times, you know, work that we've done on ourselves that have, that have equaled um, us to be able to perceive the situation for what it is now. But like, so, so it's fair to say that, you know, from my, my thinking now versus like what it was even five or six years ago, like a certain amount of emotional maturity has occurred. Right. Sure. Um, Because like you said, like back in the day, it was like, if, you know, like, if you had an attractive girlfriend, like if you had a hot girlfriend, it was like, damn, that guy has, has it figured out. Yeah. It's got something that I don't. Yeah. He obviously has something that I don't have. Um, and, and this is just an assumption, right? Like yeah. that guy may not have anything figured out. Fuck. I might have something he don't have. Yeah. Like, cause I figured out that you ain't gotta have a hot, you uh-huh. know, like, and not that my wife's not beautiful. Like I'm not saying that, right? Like <laughs> I know we feel like we got baby. Baby, I'm just what I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is like you're not the plastic Barbie. Yeah. You know, like um, and, and that's the thing, is like it's so it's so funny that like that was my thinking back then. If I looked at somebody and saw that they had what I perceived as successful, like yeah. and that's what it was. Like if I had a hot wife, that means I'm doing something right. Yeah. I'm successful in, in, in this. And, and, uh, boy, that's just not the, the truth. Yeah. You know, cause like you said, I had, 
a life full of drama. Yeah, I tried those things. With all that stuff. Yeah. And so uh, today I, I compare myself to others a little differently. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not, I, I, I no longer compare myself to what other people have. Uh, I compare myself against what other people are. And um, that's the important thing for me. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> I want to be like the most esteemable people that I've met, right? And so as we go through this, you know, the people that I've met in recovery are some of the most amazing people. You know, the people that have told their stories on the show are the most amazing people that I've ever got to talk to because these are all the kind of people that I want to be. They're the people that have looked their problems in the eye and squared up with them face to face, ready to fight this thing for a better way of life. And that's so admirable to me. Like that's so, I admire that so much. Um, I used to compare myself to people and think, God, I'm just not brave. I just don't have what it takes. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, good enough for a better way of life. And today I know that that's not true. And so do the people that tell their stories on the show. And we can look at each other and go, that's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be like that. How did you get there? Right. And, yep. and we can start talking about how we got there versus how can I get it without you knowing I'm comparing myself mm-hmm, to you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and it's just, it's, it's really liberating to, to get to a place where, you know, I appreciate who I am and I can take my strengths and I can take my weaknesses and I can take, you know, the, the view of that I have of myself and I can grow upon that thing and, and take the advice of the people that I admire. You know, I don't know if admiration is the same thing as comparing, I guess it would be. No, you know, I don't know because like, it's more like that now. It's more like I admire. Right, it's more like right, I right, admire right. and appreciate people. It, you know, if, if a person has a successful business, I'm not comparing myself to them having mm-hmm, a success. Mm-hmm. I'm admiring the work that it took right, to build right, that. Right, right. You know, if they have long-term sobriety, I'm not. I'm not thinking that they got something figured out that I don't. I admire that they've been able to put in the work for that amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And I think that that's a that's a great distinction um, that needs to be made because we've heard it said that comparison is the thief of joy. Right. And there's never a truer statement been said, you know, but admiration is completely different. Like I can admire somebody and admire the things that they've done and have every like every idea that I can actually approach that person and a applaud them for what they're doing. And B, ask them how they did it. Yeah. So that I can, you know, maybe apply that to my own life. And that's something that, you know, we've been given as a result of um, working a 12-step program. It's not 12-step exclusive by any means um, because there's many, many things out there that will say, hey, find somebody that has what you want yeah, and go after Like ask them how they got it, you know. Um, but I don't think that it's the same as comparison because... I feel like comparison comes with this, you have that and I don't. Right. As opposed to like, you have that, how did you do it? Right. Um, you have that great job. You know what I mean? Like, um, I, I think that it's a little bit different, but. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost like you have that. I don't, there's something wrong with self-pity. Me. Yeah. Right. Comes now with, now comes I'm in shame. Right. There's obviously I'm broken. Mm-hmm. Here's another perfect example of why I'm broken. Why I suck. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, you know I don't, I don't oblivion. mean to cut in here, but the, as I'm sitting here listening to you guys talk about it, I think there's something like very distinct how you're sitting there. There is a, there's a difference between comparison and admiring. I couldn't help but think, you know, I actually would argue that there's very little difference between that and that the only difference being your, your, your mindset, right? So what I'm saying is I think we can agree that comparison is a natural and probably a necessary thing for human growth. What if comparison is just the map of what you're looking at and then your emotions are the tools or the compass to like what you're feeling, you know, what if comparison is the menu, this is what you're looking at and emotions are your appetite, you know, what are you, what are you hungry for? You know? Yeah. Well, and I think that here's the thing is like, I think that it's all, it's all debatable. Like when we, when we talk about comparison, like I think in the most common context of the word comparison and in the context of the idea that comparison is the thief of joy, that's sort of already putting this spin on it that it is a bad thing. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Yeah. Would that be um, like comparison linked with maybe an expectation at the same time? No, I don't think so because I don't expect anything. Like the only thing I'm... I'm expecting when I compare myself to whoever on Facebook is to feel like shit about myself. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and that, I mean, and that, and I get it every time expectation met, you know, but I don't, so I don't think, and I don't even think even when I admire somebody that I, I have expectations either. Um, I think that the, 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 the action that is spurred, um, in that moment is different. Like if I compare myself, my next action is to immediately feel sorry for myself. Whereas if I admire somebody, the next action might be to like, what can I do to get that? Yeah. I think, I think Jordan has a point, you know, that it's, it's your mindset, right? You know, it, it, it really is. Where are you? Where are you now? As you compare yourself to others, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, if, if you're, if you're in a good space, I don't think that there is a negative to it. You know, yeah. um, you're, you're really, uh, cause, cause it's not hard for me to compare myself to the, the sign holder at the grocery store parking lot. Right. But I don't have to. Right. Because, but for the grace of God, there, there go I. Mm-hmm. Right. I know that just in a matter of a few decisions, I could take a few fucking decisions in a different direction and end up in that same place or worse. Yeah. Right. And so when we, when we internalize this stuff and compare ourselves to who we used to be or who we could be, right. Who we could be is a huge, like that's, that's something to think about, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, um, what, because we could be a lot worse than we ever were. That's the truth with the disease of alcoholism and the ability to burn our fucking lives to the ground, the way we've seen alcoholics do, we could end up a lot worse than where we're at. Oh yeah. And, and the, on the flip side of that is, you know, we could end up in a place that's a lot better. Sure. And the hard thing for me is knowing what the right thing for me is. (laughs) Right. That's a, that's a motherfucker. Well, you know, because every time I buy a lottery ticket, and this is no shit. Every time I buy a lottery ticket, I'll go to Wyoming and I'll get I'll, I'll get a, a Powerball ticket. I'm fucking I'm I'm playing Russian roulette with my soul, because if I win the fucking lottery, 
who the fuck knows which direction my ego will take. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Right? I like to think, oh, I'm going to be so fucking great and I'm going to be this philanthropist and, and do all these wonderful things. And, and maybe that's true. But, or, you know, hookers and blow. <laughs> if I win the lottery, just so you guys know, the only way anybody's getting a hold of me is by pigeon and letter. That's what yeah, I'm I mean. out. See, that's and, what I mean. And like, is that a better way of life? So, so I mean, you know, we compare ourselves to where we were at. That that's the best thing to compare any of this against, right? Is is who I used to be, who I am today, and who I really think I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and then work towards that. Yeah. That's the, I mean, can, one day at a time. Like, yeah. One, yeah. one movement at a time, one cookie at a time, one decision at a fucking time, because it's not hard for me to beat the fuck out of myself, roll my disease up, roll my mistakes up, roll my confusion up into a fucking club and just beat the hell out of myself and and remind myself of how worthless and dumb mm-hmm, I am and mm-hmm, and all those things and my actions have proven different right that's a thought that's not what is reality that's a lie that my disease tries to tell myself because we've said it so many times I'm gonna say it again I have a brain that's evolved to keep me alive with a mind that wants to kill me I have a disease that wants me dead but would be just fine with me being drunk that's right it's Absolutely. fucked up but that's the, that's the truth, right? And so that's my truth. Well, and how fortunate is it that I know that? Yeah. You know, like a lot of people don't get to know themselves that well. Yeah. And for me, like the truth is that comparison and, and kind of back to what, what Jordan was saying and, and mindset, like obviously our mindset has a, a, a big part to play in it. But, you know, I can't get too lost in labels, right? Like I could label sure. it as one thing and call it another, like the, the, the bottom line is like, is it good for me or is it not? Like, and if, if I'm comparing myself to myself in the past in a negative way, then it's not good. But if I'm using it as a tool to move forward or, or like propel my, myself forward in a positive way, then it's fine. Same thing if I'm doing it to others. Like if I'm comparing myself to others and it is allowing me to better myself somehow, and it's yeah. not hurting them at all, then it's fine. Yeah. You know, like, and it really does have to do with my mindset, right? Yeah. Like, where am I at spiritually? Like, what's going on inside? And what is that doing for my soul? Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually really kind of fascinating to, to talk about. Like, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground on comparison just in this. Kind of gained some momentum yeah, there. Yeah, really, like, kind of gained a lot of great perspective actually yeah it's it's, it's fun to dissect these things in real time you know because it's all stuff that we deal with we that's what we try to do on the show here is is talk about you know real things with real addicts and alcoholics dealing with ourselves and mm-hmm. what we've seen in the world around us and and how to better be the people we desire to be take out a little bit more insurance on not going back to who we used to be. That's right. Because we do not want to go back to that person, you know? So, yeah. I love it, dude. I love it. And I compare just, just on this note, I do compare my hair to yours. You should. (laughs) And I compare a lot of myself to you as well. Cameron's Um, got great hair. 
in a lower comparison. <laughs> yeah, you got it. But <laughs> um, I love you, man. I hope you I know that. And, um, and we're both four foot yeah. nine. This, yeah, we are. That's right. Both alcoholics. <laughs> fucking trying to find a better way to live. But dude, I um, this has been a lot of fun to talk about, and and I really appreciate that you opened up honestly about like looking at somebody like Brett and thinking that he is somebody that you would have compared yourself yeah. back like to back in the day. Yeah. Um, because you know, like that's what that's what we're talking about yeah. here, um, and it's good to know that people like Brett also have that same way of thinking. So. I really want to uh, want to let our listeners hear this story. It's an amazing story, great delivery, and I think you're going to get a lot from it. So what do you think? Yeah, let's do it. This is Brett's York story. This week's war story is brought to you by Brainwash Coffee. Brainwash Coffee is damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which is why Brainwash Coffee is the perfect partner for us here at the other side of the world. With blends like Higher Powder and Ego Ain't Your Amigo, Brainwash Coffee has your back no matter what you're poisoning. Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee order when you use promo code OTHERSIDE at brainwashcoffeeco.com. Clean your beans with Brainwash. And without further ado, here is this week's horror story. Hi, my name is Breck Leash, and I am a recovering addict. Uh, first off, I just wanted to start off and say that I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity to get up here and share my experience, strength, and hope with a group of people like yourself. Um, so many people in the past have shared their stories when I was feeling hopeless and planted seeds in my recovery that helped me get to where I am today. If there's one thing that I want to convey, it's the sense of hopelessness that I felt in my addiction and that we do recover, that if I'm capable of recovering, so are you guys. Um, when I started off, I'll start off my story with my childhood. Um, I grew up in a middle-class family. I'm originally from Baltimore County, Maryland. I had loving mom. I had a loving father. I had a great sister. I had childhood friends. You know, I felt like life was great. Um, and then getting into high school is when I started to experience problems that I felt like contributed to my, to my disease that led me to drinking the way I did. And so for me, it was comparison. I was always comparing myself to the next person. And on the surface, I went to a private high school. I was very fortunate to go to, uh, I was recruited to play ice hockey there. I was very excited to do that. And despite being on the varsity team for all four years, I was always comparing myself to the next best guy who's better at school than me, who's better at sports than I am. And so from the beginning, I had these feelings of inadequacy and I didn't know how to identify them. I just, you know, I, I, I pushed that stuff down. At the time I had a, a sister who was, who was struggling um, with some mental health issues. And I kind of took on the golden child role in my family where I suppressed everything. I didn't want to tell anybody about what I was struggling with. I kept that all to myself. And so I think I was 16 years old when I picked up my first drink. I remember a buddy of mine went into my, my parents' liquor cabinet and pulled out some sort of liquor. And the second I had my first drink, it did something for me that it doesn't typically do for the average person. And I think that indicates that I had something going on within me that the average person doesn't. I had an, something going on inside where I was really struggling. And so when I picked up a drink, it really did something for me. And from that point on, 
my life was centered around alcohol and it took a while for it to spiral to the point where I got help. But at first it was, okay, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to socialize. I'm going to do all this. So that way on Friday night, I can drink. Everything became centered around the drink from an early age, 16, 17 years old. Um, so in high school, you know, on the surface, I looked like I was doing okay. As I mentioned, I played sports, uh, did fairly well there, did well academically, got into universities. And I remember my parents suggesting, hey, Brett, why don't you go play, play junior hockey? It's a, it's a great opportunity for you. We think you're a good enough player to continue playing. And I remember saying, ah, yeah, I don't want to do that. I didn't tell them why, but the reason why was I wanted to drink. And so I went to university. I went to Towson University. Um, and instead of joining the hockey team, I, I joined a fraternity. I wanted to be around people who, who drank just like I did. And I remember thinking, man, I'm not, I'm not, these guys are so bad. They, they drink every day. These guys have problems. I'm, I'm fine. I don't have, I don't have a problem. Um, but realistically, I was struggling with something that I didn't want to voice. I was struggling with extreme anxiety. I was struggling with feelings of inadequacy, comparing myself to others. I wasn't I didn't love myself. I didn't accept myself. Um, and I masked that with, with a drink. Drinking did something for me that alleviated. It was a solution for my problem, a poor one, but it was a solution. And it was the only solution I knew at the time. And so as I was going through university, your friends around me are using cocaine. They're using Adderall. They're using painkiller. There's, they're using benzos. Um, I remember picking up Adderall to try to perform in school. First time I took the pill, it was just it was just like that drink. It alleviated something for me going on within uh, the suffering that I had going on within. And so I told people, I told my friends, "Oh, I need Adderall. I want it. I want it for school. I want it to to study for the next upcoming exam." But that was a lie. Realistically, I was I was taking Adderall to alleviate the suffering I had going on within me. Um, enough, couple of years of that, it, I eventually I ended up joining the hockey team. And so at that time, I felt very connected. I felt like I had a lot of close bonds and close relationships. Uh, I had a fraternity where I was a treasurer of it. So I knew a lot of people that way. The hockey team, I thought I had close friends there. I had a girlfriend that I had been dating for several years. Um, and so on the surface, I felt like everything was going right. I was getting the internships and in finance that I wanted. I was studying finance at the time. Everything seemed like it was going right. I thought I had life figured out. And that was really just the, my ego, ego telling me I had it all figured out when really it was, it was a mask for my own struggles. And so friends have been doing cocaine around me for years. And eventually one of them says, hey, Brett, you like Adderall, right? If you like that, you're going to like cocaine. And so after four years of saying I will never pick up a hard drug like cocaine, eventually I caved in and I tried it. And from then on, just like alcohol, just like Adderall, I did it and it did something for me that alleviated something for me that nothing else did. And so then my whole life, just like it did with alcohol in high school, where my whole life became centered around drinking, my life became centered around the next line of cocaine. And for a while that works. I, you know, I was able to continue with school, uh, continue with my relationships, but they were all starting to, to fade away. They're all starting to get worse and worse and deteriorate. And so as I graduated college, or as I was graduating college, I remember having, uh, going to a career fair, going up to all these different booths. And I remember going up to maybe 15 or so booths, and I had 15 interviews 
organized. And I remember thinking, man, I got it all figured out. Like, the life is so easy. And I had a friend tell me that too. He goes, Brett, man, it sounds like you got it all figured out. You know what you want to do afterwards? And, I, and that just, it fed into my ego, but deep down I was really struggling and I didn't know how to tell anybody. I remember questioning, what's the strong thing to do? Is it to reach out for help or is it to just keep it inside and keep chugging along? Don't let anybody know. Don't show my weakness. And I think that's a story that's true for a lot of men and women in recovery, holding on to what we're struggling with and not, and not getting it out. Um, and so as I graduated college, fortunately, just as my problem was spiraling, I got, I had a couple different jobs in the financial industry. I was working for a wealth management company. And then I got an offer in banking and started working in banking. Um, but I kept this, this spiritual malady or suffering going on with me. And thus the problem of drinking, using cocaine and Adderall continued. And so I found myself um, being stressed out by deadlines. My relationships with coworkers were awful. My relationships at home weren't going well. My mom and dad were distanced from me um, and I didn't know how to react. And so what do I do? I turned to the substance that was causing those issues in the first place. It's for me, the insanity of this disease is that despite the consequences, I still return to using that substance and then more problems ensue. Um, so I started with going to happy hour after work with a couple of coworkers. And then that leads to me contacting a dealer. Can I get Adderall? Can I get cocaine? Staying up all night instead of completing work, going home um, and not being able to make it to work the next day, going to work hungover. Uh, another thing I want to note is you've probably seen the progression of my, of my usage. Not only did I start to drink more, not only did I start to use more Adderall and cocaine, but other elements started to come into it. The first time I took Adderall, something came over me, you know, an urge to, to watch pornography. And that's something that progressed for me. When I watched stimulants, I started to binge watch porn. And that was something I didn't want to tell anybody. I didn't want to address that issue ever throughout my, throughout my recovery up until this most recent attempt. That's not something that I wanted to talk about. I was too ashamed. And so for me, I was being so weighed down by shame, by pity, by resentment, uh, by comparison of others, by stress, by anxiety. I didn't know how to cope with the problems of the world. I turned to substances to try to cope with my problems. And those substances caused more problems in my life. And so I'm working at a financial company. Um, I'm advising on decent sized deals, tens of millions of dollars. Yet I have psychosis from using drugs and alcohol. I think the government's spying on me because I have so my thinking became so delusional because I use so many uh, stimulants. Um, and with that came a whole lot of shame. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to bring it up. I didn't know how to address it. And I remember um, one day, thank God, I, I didn't wake up for work and my emergency contact was my dad. And so my dad and my mom came to my apartment to address the situation. This was the beginning, the first intervention in my life to seek help. And I remember my dad, a strong man who I looked up to, I'd never seen him really get emotional and I'd never seen him cry. And he started weeping. He got on the floor and started weeping. He said, I want my son back. And it was one of the most powerful moments that, that really began my, my recovery. And I'm so grateful that my parents have been there throughout all of this. Um, and so to recap, I was a guy who thought I had it all figured out, who thought I was doing well in school. Look at me, I'm in college. I am part of a, you know, I'm on the club hockey team. I'm in a fraternity. 
I have job interviews. I got it all figured out. But realistically, I was struggling immensely on the inside. The drinking and the drugs are just a symptom of what I had going on. And so that, that kicked off the rest of my, my, kicked off my recovery stints. I first went to an addiction treatment center in Maryland. I spent 90 days there. And ultimately, I just wanted to do it my way. Um, but along, along that, that journey, one of the last days at this treatment center, uh, a peer support advocate, Dustin, shared his story. It was somebody I looked up to immensely. And I, it was somebody I, I saw all the qualities that he had, positive qualities and characteristics. It's somebody I wanted to be like. And he shared his story. And I realized how hopeless he had gotten in, in his life. And that he's saying, I, I've recovered. And I recovered through a connection with a higher power. And that planted a seed for me that I had never, that I, and my, my sense of hopelessness was slightly lifted on that day. That maybe it is possible for me to stop doing this. Um, I tried working the steps a little bit, the 12 step program. As I said, I tried to do it my way. Turns out my version of the 12 steps don't work out too well. And so I ended up relapsing while I was in sober living, um, deceiving everybody, manipulating everybody from my girlfriend, my mom, my dad, the um, recovery advocates at the sober living, all these people trying to help me. And I'm defying what they're trying. They're, they're reaching their hand out for me and I'm defying it. And ultimately, I end up on a plane to Florida. Um, one day I'm in Maryland, next day I'm in Florida, had no thoughts of it prior, and was at another recovery center. And so now my ego tells me, oh, I'm a college graduate with a good career, um, and I'm on my second rehab. All my friends, and this is where resentments start to kick up immensely. Resentments were really a huge problem for me in my recovery. I remember thinking of my friend who just got into Georgetown for grad school. I remember thinking of my friend who just got engaged, my friend who just got married, always comparing myself to other people, taking no appreciation or gratitude for the things that I had in life. And that's just a, that's a terrible place to be mentally. Um, after going to the second, second treatment center, um, basically the same story as the first one where I, where I struggled, struggled right out of the treatment center. I went right back to using substances. I remember having 120 days of sobriety. And I was like, man, good for me. And at this time, I'm, I go to, go to a job interview. I go through three or four rounds of interviewing at this company that I really wanted to work for. I get the job. I accept it. And they tell me, hey, you got to, we're going to do a drug test in a week or two. And I hadn't relapsed yet. But I remember being so... Um, fearful of the stress and anxiety that was going to come with this job and knowing that I hadn't truly recovered yet. And so I came up with this idea, instead of taking the job, why don't I go back out to drink? And so I remember telling myself, oh, I have 120 days. I could, I can drink like a normal person now. It's the great obsession of every alcoholic is to drink like a normal person. And that's a lot of my story is trying to, trying to control it, trying to manage it. But ultimately I've never, I haven't been able to do that. And so that took me down a dark path and I went from, you know, you know, having a beautiful girlfriend, close connections with friends, my mom, my dad, a career, all these things. And now I'm in putting myself in a situation where I'm at the lowest level sober living in Florida, lowest level of accountability. So that way I could go out and use substances the way I wanted to. I tried to manipulate it and that led me to going and staying in hotels and motels. So that way I could drink and use the way I wanted to. I was binge watching porn. 
Um, I was trying to escape my suffering any way I, I knew how to. And that's, that's the only way I knew how to. Uh, I remember driving back and forth from the hotel room to the liquor store. And the only thing that existed on planet earth to me was myself, that liquor store and that hotel room. And I have to say, that's probably the loneliest feeling I've ever had in my life. And that's the opposite of recovery for me is that feeling of loneliness and despair right there. The big book says pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And I don't think there's a better phrase to summarize how demoralized I felt at that moment. I remember being in the hotel room, looking up at the ceiling, there was a hook. And I was wondering to myself, I wonder if that hook is connected to support beams because I was thinking about hanging myself. I didn't, I didn't think that there was any possibility for recovery. I didn't think it was, I was capable of doing it. And so And so sitting in that hotel room, utterly hopeless, I get a call from my dad saying, Brett, I'm coming down to Florida. We're driving back to Maryland and we're going we're gonna to work this out. Uh, my sister fortunately reached out to a place in Utah, Spirit Mountain Recovery. And she said, this place looks like it would fit, be a perfect fit for you. I remember looking at the website, talked to the owner, and then... After the phone call, I go, Utah, I'm not going to Utah. I'm from the East Coast. What, what the hell is in Utah? Um, and I remember waking up the next morning and by the grace of God, I don't know what happened, but I had a total change in mind. And I think that was a, an intervention there from a higher power. I woke up and said, man, that sounds like an amazing opportunity to go out to this place. It seems just up my alley. And so I ended up about two years ago flying out to Utah to go to Spirit Mountain Recovery. Um, and my journey through, through Spirit Mountain Recovery has been absolutely incredible. Um, I remember writing down in the journal, 30 to 45 day program, and they were just trying to get me in the door. I was, I was a sick and suffering individual and I needed a lot of work. Um, I remember sitting down with my therapist there, going on a rant about a, about, spoke for about an hour and 15 minutes, just ranting first session. And he hands me his notebook. He says, please read that out to me. I take a look at the notebook and it says educated surface level bullshit. And I read that out to him and he goes, you wasted my time. This, I thought this would be productive, but you wasted my time in your own time. And so my ego comes into play and I start to burst out things that are, that I thought were vulnerable. Oh, I have a problem with porn. I don't like my self image. Um, and anyways, for me, that raw accountability, that kind of uh, tough recovery was what I needed to push through my suffering. I was somebody who was very closed off. I, was, I, could, I could talk well, but I couldn't be vulnerable. I couldn't be honest. And so many people throughout my recovery journey have showed an example of what it means to be a recovered individual, to be honest, to be loving, to be compassionate. Um, and I'm fortunate there was people at Spirit Mountain Recovery that were so compassionate that they were willing to lean into the uncomfortable to try to help me. And so I, I was a difficult case. Uh, I was told that they thought I had the worst anxiety disorder that they had ever seen. Um, and I remember being in denial about that saying, no, no, not me, that's not me. Um, and so going, going through that, that process at Spirit Mountain, uh, I ended up staying as a client for 
over six months. Um, and as I was saying, I didn't, every month I was thinking, where do I get a job? What do I do next? But yet they had the compassion to, to sit down with me and explain, you have a, you have a serious infliction. And this is our suggestion. Our suggestion is one year of recovery through this treatment center for somebody like you who has struggled so much, who your life is on the line. Um, one thing that was really tough for me to realize is that I didn't know what was best for me. My best thinking got me into treatment. My best thinking led me to go to three treatment centers. It led me to hotel rooms, drinking alone. Um, it led me to losing a job, jobs and careers. Uh, it led me to burning down relationships. And so I came to some realizations while I was at Spirit Mountain that realized that I, I don't have this figured out. I realized that my ego had been driving my decision-making, that my feelings of inadequacy led to selfishness and self-centeredness, doing everything for myself, thinking very little of other people, thinking all about myself. And it's funny, the more, the more effort and thought I put into myself, the worse it is for me. The more I grip onto my job or to, to my loved ones, the, the worse it ends up being somehow. And so for me, my willpower was inadequate in, in keeping me sober. And through that process, I ended up deciding to get a sponsor, working the 12 steps. Um, and I found that a connection to a higher power is ultimately what keeps me sober today. That in addition to the fellowship of people that I've, that I've met in the recovery world, there's been so many people before me who have struggled with this and recovered and then gone out to share their story, to share their experience. And I'm so grateful because there's people who today I'm starting to reach out to them and say, hey, thank you. I know I haven't spoken to you in four or five years, but thank you for sharing your experience on that day because it planted a seed for me that recovery is possible. And so for that, I'm, I'm forever grateful for the individuals, not just at Spirit Mountain, but the other treatment centers I went to for people I've met in, in the rooms of 12-step meetings or refuge recovery or smart recovery, whatever it may be. So having gone through, through Spirit Mountain's program, um, I was fortunate enough that I kind of came to a breaking point where I was on my fourth step working through resentments. And I was like, I need to, I, I need to progress. What am I doing? I've, I've been here several months. Uh, my life is on the line. Uh, when I use substances, I'm close to overdosing. I have thoughts of killing myself. Um, I, felt, I felt hopeless. And I said, okay. There's these people who said that this, there's a process that works. And so finally I threw in the towel and said, okay, my way is done. I'll listen to you. What do you, what do you have to tell me? And so one of the biggest pieces of my recovery is taking direction and leaning on people who know more than me. Uh, I remember the, the doctor there, you know, he's probably went through 10 years of school to become a psychiatrist and has decades of experience working as a psychiatrist. And he wants to tell me which medication to go on. And I'm saying, oh, no, no. I, I know what's best. And that's just an example of where my ego was. And so I came to realize that my arrogance and my, my ego were preventing me from recovering and that I had a whole lot of self searching to do um, and a whole lot of humility to gain in order, in order to achieve recovery. And so I decided to work the 12 steps to the best of my ability to build a connection with a higher power. Um, and through that process, I ended up being granted an internship at Spirit Mountain Recovery. Um, they said that I had recovered from something and they wanted me to help guide others in their recoveries. And then through the internship, I moved on to be a peer support specialist and have taken on other responsibilities at Spear Mountain. 
and I'm forever grateful for the vision that Chris and Matt Farney, the, the founders of Spirit Mountain had. They put themselves out there to help me when nobody else was really willing to do it. They went above and beyond. And I think for me, that's what's so important for others in recovery is somebody else reaching out to help. It's a, it's the unity and fellowship that helps keep us all sober. And so I'm forever grateful for the relationships that I've made through that process. Um, I'm extremely grateful today to be able to empower others and guide other people in their recoveries. Um, so today in recovery coming up, God willing, next month will be two years sober. I'm very grateful for that. And today I get to wake up and have a sense of purpose, which is huge. I get to pray to a higher power, ask for guidance. I'm no longer running the show. I get to feel a sense of gratitude for the things I have in life. I don't have to compare myself to other people and put myself down. I don't have to wallow in self-pity. Instead, I get to love myself, accept myself. Um, I've rebuilt relationships with my mom, my dad. Uh, my aunt and uncle recently came out to go skiing at Snow Basin. Um, I've built new hobbies such as skiing. I started to do old hobbies that I used to be into, hiking, uh, playing ice hockey, going to the gym. Um, my addiction took me to one of the loneliest places on earth. And my recovery has taken me to a place of connection that I didn't think was possible again. And when I think back at my lowest points, I was utterly hopeless. I didn't think recovery was possible. And so there's one thing I want to say that is recovery is possible and you can do it. And I'm forever grateful for everybody who showed me the way. And all I've done is simply take a little bit of advice and be willing to do it and try to practice honesty to the best of my ability. So for that, thank you. Nice. Yeah. Thank you, Brett. Yeah. Honestly, that was, uh, that was great. Recovery is it possible, is. man. Yeah. yeah There's more proof. And I really appreciate him, you know, throwing it back to all the people that came before. Yeah. All the people that, uh, have laid the path down and, and the fact that all he did was take some advice. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, how many vain attempts, right? Like, and find, finally something stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. grateful for that, man. I'm grateful for the for the people like him that came before me, also. Yeah, that had the experiences that I had that were able to share them, like he just did. Yeah, I wouldn't be here without you guys. Yeah, there's no way I'd be here without you guys. Yeah, man, I was just getting lost there, just thinking about you know, like what uh, what what life would be like if if we we're still out there, and. He, you know, I just, Brett, I really appreciate your delivery of that story. Um, it was so great to hear him talk about, I mean, you guys can hear like how it is we sort of came to this topic based on his, uh, his story. Um, but you know, he talks about just not living in self pity yeah, and, and being able to accept himself for how he is and stop comparing himself. And it's like, that's exactly what happens, man. It is when I compare myself is, is I'm, I'm, I'm living in self pity and I'll never be happy in my own skin. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't want to live like that. Yeah, today. It, I mean, to be fair, like it's not, it's not hard to compare yourself to the people standing on the sidewalk when you're living in the gutter. Right. You know, it's, it's really not. Um, what, what does make it difficult is when you're standing on the sidewalk and, um, you can still see the people for people in the gutter, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, 
And that's one of the things that Brett does is, is he doesn't he doesn't see gutter trash. He sees addicts and alcoholics that need a hand up just like he did. Yeah. Right. You know, um, mm-hmm. a lot of times we're laying down, you know, even though we're all four foot nine. Right. Get standing on your feet and you'll see that we're the same height. And and, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for for all this stuff, man, because I would still be living in comparison. Yeah. And and. Mm-hmm. Uh, had I not been given a simple set of tools that I can really utilize and I, and I wasn't given a fellowship and a community in recovery that, you know, when I would go in and I would start sharing in a meeting about how I'm comparing myself to others and not even knowing that I'm comparing myself to others, right? you know, I'd be sharing about something and somebody would point it out, you know, like you're comparing yourself to somebody, you're fucking great, knock it off. And, and that would give me the ability to think about it, you know, therapists like he was talking about, you know, uh, having, having, having a, a professional be able to point some of these things out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. helped me out. Having friends, you know, uh, enjoy my wins with me. Yeah. That helps. Oh, yeah. You know, the community helps. Yeah. Community, I mean, it, I'm, I'm grateful for the community that we have. Brett is a part of that community. I can't thank you enough. What I really liked, too, was just the honesty that not only was in his story, but just is obviously such a big part of his program, um, which is crucial. Yeah. Like we, we hear that all the time. But he he mentioned pornography in his story, yep. which we don't hear often. Like, honestly, it's, it's probably a bigger part of more people's story than than is talked about. Yeah. And so I appreciate that that uh, that he, you know shared that with us because i think that people need to hear it yeah and i was that you know i i know pornography is a, a big thing for me like I've, I've shared and i shared it with him you know i think pornography was there before alcohol like mm-hmm. I, as far as i can remember uh i was looking at, at pornography magazine magazines before i ever took a drink um the last time i worked the steps i worked the steps on pornography with my sponsor and uh you know, it, it is it is huge. You know, and he he talked about how uh, how addictive it can be, mm-hmm. you know? yeah. and it's not it's not uncommon. It's not it's not uncommon. And it's uncommon to talk about. It doesn't get talked about enough, right? Um, honestly, but here's the thing, and and I just I love this because it just sort of brings it back around full circle for me. It's like I I love hearing him talk about. Um, those feelings of inadequacy that, you know, that he had, that we had um, growing up and how the substance, whatever it was, a drink, Adderall, cocaine, whatever it was, removed that inadequacy, yeah. right? Um, so for a long time, the drugs and alcohol were a solution. Yep. You know, they were a solution to the inadequacy. I can relate with that. Me too. And now, now we have to find a new solution. So... It sounds like he's been able to find that. Yeah. Um, I appreciate him sharing a little bit of, of how the solution has changed for him. Yeah. And and what it is today. Yeah. He would have he would have never guessed in a million years he would end up in a mountain town in Utah working working at a treatment center. And yeah. That was not in that was not in his plans. Yeah. But again, there it is, you know, thank God we don't get what we want. Right. We get what we need. What was in his plans? Yeah, right. You know, like yeah, finance, finance and money and the mm-hmm. prestige and the, 
the, all, all the shiny things we think are going to make us happy. And uh, a lot of times, you know, for a lot of us, we find that's not what we think is going to make us happy doesn't make us happy. Yeah. And all too often we will return to the thing we think is going to make us happy, even though it doesn't. And so th- th- thankfully, you know, the three of us, me, you, and Brett have all found a way to get through yesterday, get through so far today, mm-hmm. without having to go back to what absolutely does not work. Yeah. And I'm grateful to be in a place where I've, I've have enough evidence to know what doesn't work. Yeah. So... Yeah, if you're interested, uh, you know, Brett didn't have time to mention it, but he did ask me, you know, like, if you're interested, look for Spirit Mountain on Instagram. We'll put a link to Spirit Mountain Recovery if that's something that you feel like you need or you have somebody that might benefit from it. It is a, it is an actual treatment center that takes on clients. So, um, that, you know, like I said, check it out if that feels yeah. like something you need. And, uh, yeah, that's what we do here. Yeah. I get the information out there. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, man, what a great, what a great topic. What a, what a great episode. It was so cool to, to talk about this, uh, in a way that I don't think we've really covered before. Yeah. So I'm grateful to be here with you guys, man. I'm yeah. Willie, it's good to talk to you. And yeah. I'm glad I get to get into the nitty gritty of all this stuff with <laughs> Stop you. Stop comparing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> compare yourself to me i it's the hair it is the hair it's all right yeah jordan you're the man thank you rylan you're yeah. the man thanks, thank you jordan. thanks rylan thanks Very listeners thanks watchers thanks everybody who supports the show um we are truly blessed to be here and remember everybody you are worth the work we'll see you on the other side The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.